10-3 is brought to you by Callaway. Chrome Soft isn't just another tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low compression, low spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something and tried doing the same. But they can't. Because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with a graphene-infused dual soft fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone was playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball that changed the ball at CallawayGolf.ca. One of the knocks against the Federal Conservative Party, rightly or wrongly, is that it's not friendly to women. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was trying to play up this division with initiatives like his own gender-balanced cabinet and targeting the party of Andrew Scheer over issues like abortion. But things could be changing. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at how some conservative candidates are trying to break the stereotype, what inspired them to run, and what it means to the party in the upcoming election. It would mean the world to me if you subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. It would mean even more if you tell your friends about us. Marie Danielle Smith covers federal politics for the National Post. So Marie Danielle, if you're judging politics and our political parties by stereotypes alone, you would not assume a heavily tattooed, dimple-pierced young woman would be a natural fit standing beside straight-laced, button-down Andrew Scheer. But... There are some people who are actually breaking that stereotype, or at least trying to. So what can you tell me about Claire Rattay? Right. So this is a young woman out in Kitimat, BC. Um, That's the writing that Nathan Cullen has held for the NDP for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's retiring now, and the Tories are hoping that they'll have a chance there. She's 27 years old. She co-owns a tattoo shop in Kitimat. She's covered in ink. She has leopard spots on her arms. She has black piercings in her dimples. Um, she's just uh, kind of an interesting looking character and um, not that you want to judge everyone uh, by their appearances, but you might not expect for this type of person to be a natural fit for the conservatives, like you said. She's got a campaign manager who's a 23-year-old woman um, who owns a hairstyling business and who also has lots of ink. And and I could imagine running into these these two ladies somewhere and, and asking them about their politics and not necessarily assuming that they would lean to the right or that they would be fighting for things like resource development in that writing. So I think in some ways, the conservatives are trying to upset the stereotype that it's mostly older white dudes who would be involved with the party. And, mm-hmm. and she's an example of that. So what drew her to the federal conservatives? Was it strictly resource development or were there other aspects of conservative politics that really attracted her? She says that she's always been a conservative and she's always aligned with the conservative party's policies. I think in her particular area of BC, there is um, a specific resource development uh, bent because of the liquid natural gas project where they're trying to get more out to port at Kitimat. So I think that um, for her, that's sort of the the big issue. She thinks that the politicians in her area have not focused enough on supporting those kinds of projects. But she says that this has always been sort of her leaning, and she finds it kind of entertaining to explain that to people when <laughs> they, they meet her and, and they <laughs> react with surprise. So what makes her candidacy particularly important or even just particularly interesting? Well, I think that uh, she's one of a cohort of, of younger people who are running for the Conservative Party this time around. 
and also one of a record high number of women who are running for the party. So it's hard to sort of read too much into a single candidate in a riding that you know, is not necessarily a safe riding for that party. But she is one among this cohort of, I think there are up to 100 women now running for the party. If you want to compare that with 2015 numbers, there had been uh, 68, I think, conservative female candidates that year. Mm -hmm. And there had been 105 liberal women candidates. So they're essentially where the liberals were last time. And we can talk a bit more about uh, some of the sort of claims of feminism that have been flying around lately. <laughs> but she she's sort of an example of that. And of course, there's always going to be some additional hype around somebody who's a little bit different. And another interesting story about her recently by APTN, uh, they noticed that um, from social media posts, I think that were leaked to them, that she had bought a human skull for her boyfriend as a birthday gift. And so this caused a little bit of a stir because, again, not only is it an unusual thing for somebody to do, yeah. But it might also test whether a conservative voter would be okay with um, that type of that type of behavior, I guess, or uh, spending uh, types of purchases that they might um, not agree with. So yeah. it, that kind of scrutiny is always to be expected, and it's interesting to watch it play out, but with a younger and more female cohort. So, I mean, you talked about the 2015 election. Much was made about how many women the Liberal Party had running for them in 2015. And then even after the election, when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came out with a gender balanced cabinet and because it's 2015, playing up his feminist credentials, was all of that kind of setting the stage for the Conservatives to try and up their game or to, to make a big push to have more women running for them this time around? I think that could be true. They they won't say so overtly. If you talk to somebody like their campaign manager, Hamish Marshall, what he'll say is that, you know, they're not swooping in and handpicking every single candidate, that the ridings have quite a bit of control over who's who's getting chosen locally, but that there has been a sort of an effort to find interesting and diverse candidates who the party hopes will be elected under those democratic circumstances. Now, there's always there's always kind of some interesting politics at play with nomination races at, at the local level, but mm -hmm. um, they won't overtly say that we really want more women or we're really trying to appear as though we are on, on a level footing with the Liberal Party when it comes to promoting women within our ranks or encouraging them to run for us. It is, however, what seems to be happening. They will talk about wanting to field a crop of diverse candidates. They have talked about wanting to have uh, just a wider representation of, of Canadians in their in their slate of candidates, right? That's right. And when you talk with people who are associated with the campaign and who are helping recruit candidates, they will bring up the names of people who seem to buck the stereotype in various ways. So, for example, um, now these are not necessarily ridings that are, again, safe ridings yeah. or, or necessarily winnable, right? But they will talk about Muslim candidates that they are running in the GTA. They will talk about gay, openly gay candidates that they are running also around the GTA. And they'll bring up the names of immigrant women who are running for the party in various ridings across the country. There are a variety of candidates here that they can point to if they get criticism or if they get attacked for seeming to fit more the stereotype of, of a, a, you know, a white guy voter who uh, maybe isn't a fan of immigration. They certainly get accused all the time of trying to attract that type of person. And here they can say, no, well, if we were really very xenophobic or very anti-immigration, then, then why would an immigrant 
you know, single mother want to run for us. And and so they use these examples as a way to sort of temper those criticisms. Yeah. It, it, part of your reporting on this, you talked about Rete being part of kind of a, a crop of, of younger women who are running for the conservative party. Who are some of these other women and what what do they represent? Right. Um, so an interesting person that I talked to about this is Michelle Rempel. Um, she was a cabinet minister under the Harper government um, and has been a very outspoken uh, critic for the party. She deals with immigration issues. And when you talk to her, she'll point out uh, sort of a list of women who she sort of has taken under her wing in some way. And she gives them a lot of credit, but she says that she wants to help them out if she can and thinks that they kind of represent the future of the party. I can give you a couple of examples. There is a a person, for example, um, who's running in the Churchill riding in Manitoba, Sierra Bird. She is 22. I think she is 22 or 23 years old and participated in the Daughters of the Vote event on Parliament Hill earlier this year. That's when um, all of the MPs' seats were filled with young women from their ridings, and they all came together to um, do a Q&A with the Prime Minister and raise issues in Parliament, giving them this platform that, you know, traditionally young women have not always had opportunities like that. So this is someone who already appeared on the Hill in that capacity and is an Indigenous voice running for the Conservatives and and espousing their values. Mm-hmm. There's a Ramona Singh in Brampton East that Michelle Rempel mentioned, Raquel Dancho in Kildone in St. Paul. There's a whole list of younger women who they're not necessarily only going to toe the party line. Rempel says, you know, they're not in it to be quiet necessarily, but that they believe in conservative values and they're trying to show that you can be a young woman, you can be somebody who isn't stereotypically associated with the party and still make a difference within it. Yeah. You mentioned Michelle Rempel, obviously one of the the more outspoken conservative MPs right now. While they may not have had as much representation in cabinet under Prime Minister Stephen Harper, there are still a number of strong women who have held high positions in government, names like Rempel, names like Candace Bergen and Rona Ambrose and Lisa Raitt. Is that part of what inspired Rate to run for the Conservatives? Yeah, she names Rempel specifically. And I think that um, th- their relationship, it sort of goes both ways. She also sought out Rempel to to get some advice from her and, and sees her as, um, I think, sort of a hero in some ways um, for a young conservative woman. She is outspoken. She makes no apologies for her opinions. And she doesn't take any shit. Uh, from men when she, you know, she she is very outspoken against uh, sexism and, and sometimes is a controversial figure, but, but yeah, makes no apologies for that. So there are certainly lots of examples in the Conservative Party of women who have been successful. And, and I think what they would say um, when you're making a comparison with um, Trudeau's Liberal Party, what they would say is that they sort of came by those positions on their own merits and that there was never any kind of quota system that that somebody could argue is the reason that they that they got there. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certainly good arguments in favor of quota systems in favor of a gender balanced cabinet. Lots of people supported that and thought it was a great move. Some conservative women would argue it does leave you open to the idea that well, maybe you're only there because you're a woman. Um, whereas someone like Ronnie Ambrose came by the interim leadership of the Conservative Party wholly because she was the right person for the job. And, and nobody, I think, uh, would be willing to question that. So looking ahead to the election this fall, how important is it for Andrew Scheer to shed 
the stereotype? There's a couple of different things at play here. I mean, we're talking about gender issues, and I think that the Conservative Party probably does have some work to do in translating this sort of high number of female candidates to policies that are going to be good for women. There's a recent example um, of Conservative senators um, sort of filibustering uh, private bills in the Senate such that Ronna Ambrose's bill, which was to educate judges about sexual assault, ended up dying on the order paper mm-hmm. before Parliament rose for summer. That's not a great uh, sign, I guess, for people people who are are deep in into women's issues and are watching how the Conservative Party is handling them when it comes to legislation. So there, I mean, there are probably some policies that that the party could start talking about that that are relevant to women, and and maybe that's one way for them to. Uh, put their money where their mouth is, I guess. But there will be, I think, a narrative in the election over feminism and and who's more feminist. And we've already seen these fights play out in question period on Parliament Hill. And, and I will say that I think it's uh, a sign of progress that federal leaders are of the two biggest political parties are arguing about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be talk about policies in the United States where at the state level, some abortion rights are being restricted. Uh, Justin Trudeau and his party have been talking about this quite a lot because I think they hope to cast some aspersions on Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. Scheer, of course, saying that he doesn't want to reopen that debate, but there will be talk about that. And it is a, it is a hot topic in North America right now. And, and maybe that's a good thing that, that we would discuss it. As far as the, the other stereotypes about the Conservative Party go, there's also um, some effort being made to dispel it. I mean, Andrew Scheer can't be accused of not having a climate plan anymore, although you can certainly argue about what its merits are. They are recognizing that at least that climate change is, is an issue that will be important to a lot of especially younger voters. So yeah, making sure that that you don't seem old, stodgy, um, or any of those other adjectives, anti-women, xenophobic, you know, like these are these are words that I think people tend to associate with conservative politicians that that they really aren't interested in having um, having proliferate in this election. So you will see them trying to sort of take a, a more centrist approach on certain issues and and try to showcase. These some of these candidates who seem to um, buck that trend, I guess. You talk about the arguments around feminism coming up in the House of Commons. A, a lot of it was spillover from the way Jody Wilson-Raybould felt she was treated by the Prime Minister and the privy, clerk of the Privy Council and, and high-ranking members of the Prime Minister's office. How much of the argument do you think has tied to that, but also how much of the argument is a matter of just trying to score points against one another and not necessarily debating the issues around actual feminism? That's a really, really interesting question. Uh, I think that you definitely saw, uh, especially the Tories, but also the NDP, trying to make some hay out of the fact that, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould is a woman. She appeared to have been forced out of her cabinet position and later resigned. Jane Philpott, who disagreed with how all of that was handled, also resigned from cabinet, and both of them were kicked out of the Liberal caucus. These are some strong female politicians. And of course, there's a tendency to want to say that sexism played into the decision-making by the Liberal Party to kick them out. And of course, the opposition really tried to establish that as the narrative. So it's something that people have talked about. Now, I think that you would probably talk to either of those women and they would tell you that the issues at stake here 
are are huge ethical issues and that, you know, this is not a matter of whether or not they are a man. This is about um, decisions that they made on principle and that and that things played out because of politics and not because of gender. You are going to see, I think, in this election campaign, a bit of a conflating of those two things. Sometimes politics is politics and, you know, women are just as caught up in it as men are. But there, I, I, would, I would sort of caution us from trying to ascribe sexism to each political in- event involving a woman yeah. because that takes away some of the bigger questions around um, why decisions are being made. Yeah. And with the, the conservatives really trying to to hammer that notion that, that Justin Trudeau is a fake feminist, what issues related to women does he necessarily have to play up this election? And and what about Jagmeet Singh and the NDP? Where are they at on this landscape of trying to either attract women to their party, uh, speak to women's issues uh, more forcefully, uh, and address some of these these problems that have come up over the last six months? Well, I guess that I mean, there's I guess a couple of different ways of looking at it. You can look at how they're trying to attract women by their rhetoric, right? I mean, the the conservatives calling Justin Trudeau a fake feminist and trying to emphasize some of the strong women in their caucus. The Trudeau liberals trying to accuse Scheer of of being against women's rights or of of being sympathetic to some of the abortion restrictions in the United States because of his pro-life position and his personal stance, which he says is not going to translate to federal politics, but which is a kind of a boogeyman for a lot of a lot of people on the left. And then on the other hand, there are the actual records of the parties that we're talking about. And objectively, there have been some moves by the Liberal Party during their tenure in government to focus on women's issues. They've put money towards women's issues internationally. They have certainly had more women in cabinet roles. And it's hard to argue that they have done anything legislatively or otherwise that is overtly a step back for women, right? So you could look at that record and then you could compare it to the the sort of the accusations of fake feminists and draw your own conclusions. But again, the the fact that we're even talking about this is is probably a step in the right direction. How much do you think that that Senate vote on the Rona Ambrose bill that would mandate education for judges around sexual assault um how much do you think that could hurt the party and and candidates in the election? I think that anything that senators do is is going to be seen as a little bit separate um, from what elected officials are doing, even though they sit in a caucus with MPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, conservative senators have uh, politics of their own that they're dealing with in this new independent Senate, and so I think the only the only way that this uh, makes a splash in the election or becomes a major issue is if people talk about it. And I think that a lot of people who very closely followed that bill are talking about it, including Ron Ambrose, and she's expressed her disappointment with with that decision. And she is, uh, at the time, was essentially asking for Andrew Scheer to advocate um, with his senators who sit in his caucus uh, and say, listen, like, try to find a way to put this through because it's good for women and good for survivors of sexual assault. So I think that it may not be that sort of at the top of mind in an election campaign, but for those who pay close attention to these issues, that it it would certainly color their their opinion of of the party and how it deals with such things. Marie Danielle, thanks for your time. Thank you. Like what you heard today? Get more of the National Post's award-winning journalism complimentary for 30 days at nationalpost.com slash podcast. 
10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest, Marie Danielle Smith. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>